0: Welcome back. Did you miss me? This is season three of Geek 4. I say season like there might be a set number of episodes that I do in a season. I don't. I basically go until I run out of steam. Either it's harder to book guests, or I just am so busy that it's hard to find the time to do the interviews that I want to do. I've been on hiatus for about four months. I went to England, I got to meet and hang out some of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast from the UK, Sally Ann, Frankie, Adam, Kev. I had a great time. I've also spent some time reigniting some loves that I've left on the back burner and discovering some new things that I like. But in the back of my mind, I've always been thinking, who could I interview? Who would be interesting to talk to about the things that they love? I'm always on the lookout for potential subjects to interview for this podcast. For this first interview back, I'm very pleased to welcome Derek White. Derek is known as the Geek Preacher online, and if you look up Geek Preacher, he's all over the place. He's a United Methodist minister, and he's been ministering to the nerd and geek communities since about 2007. Derek was recently featured on a documentary called Satanic Panic. It's running on Tubi in in the U.S., Derek's a huge gaming fan, and so I wanted to talk to him about why he loves Dungeons & Dragons and how it's become this kind of instrumental thing in his life. It was a really interesting conversation. I hope you check out the documentary if you're able to find it. Derek and I were also in a documentary called The Science Fiction Makers a couple of years ago, and they're both made by my friend Andrew Wall in Winnipeg, and... It was just great to talk to Derek. He's been on my radar for a while. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to sit down and have this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And I've missed you. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandoms, and fan cultures. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce, and you may like something, but what are you a
1: geek for?
0: Derek White, welcome to Geek Four. Nice to have you here.
1: Nice to be here. Looking forward to talking with you.
0: Yeah. Um, now you're somebody I've been aware of for for many years, and I know you have lots of different interests that fall into a broad geeky umbrella. But I wanted to talk specifically about your love of Dungeons and Dragons today.
1: Wonderful. I always love to talk about D and D.
0: Now. Um, let's start kind of broadly not with you, but with the Dungeons and Dragons itself for the lay person, for the uninitiated, what is Dungeons and Dragons?
1: Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I think is best described by Gary Gygax at its most essential is playing cops and robbers with rules. Uh, When you're a kid, Uh, You get outside, at least when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s, you get outside and you play cops and robbers with your friends. You'd come up with scenarios, uh, you know, the robbers were doing this uh, and the cops had to come in and find out what the robbers were doing. But if you got into an altercation, like the cops were shooting at the robbers or the robbers were shooting at the cops, then it would turn into a 20 minute argument about who shot who. And uh, what Dungeons & Dragons allows you to do is build those types of stories uh, across a wide spectrum, but gives you rules uh, for uh, resolving combat. And as the game has grown and morphed and evolved over the years, now there are rules for social interaction so that... Uh, you know, if you want to persuade someone, you can roll a persuasion check, things of that nature. So it gives you rules that help you build a story together. It's all, it is a form of collaborative storytelling, which we've done since the begin, since the first humans sat around a fire. Or as I like to say, being from where I'm from in the South, uh, since the first guy sat around uh, lying about the fish he caught. Uh, And then the next guy takes that story and builds on it, and the next person does that, and the next person does that. It's a form of shared storytelling, Uh, and you have a person who uh, the game master or dungeon master uh, sits back and helps them weave their stories together. We are a
0: story people, Derek.
1: Very much a story people.
0: So let's get into your story with Dungeons and dragons. Uh, being of similar ages, I think we probably have you know similar similar experiences in the way Dungeons and Dragons was perceived, at least by the media. How did you first get interested in Dungeons and Dragons?
1: Uh, I talk about this in a documentary I did, uh, but uh, the uh, first way I got interested in Dungeons and Dragons, I was watching some kids at school playing the game uh, and walking around with these books with dragons on the front, fighters on the front. And I was already a huge fan of mythology. I had already, I had read Bullfinch's mythology by the time I was 10 years old. Uh, I had uh, read Norse mythology. I read about dragons. I love fantasy and I love science fiction, and so, uh, because of that love, I saw these other kids doing it, I wanted to play, but they were all about a year older than me, and they were uh, ignoring me, and so, uh, I was on, uh, we were on a a vacation, and we were out in Texas, and we went through this mall, back when malls were the thing, and I found a Dungeons and Dragons book there. I begged and pleaded my mother to buy it. She refused because my mom, I was her youngest child. And she's like, nah, nah. Yeah, you know, she 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 was not gonna give in. But uh her sister-in-law, my stepdad's uh sister-in-law, uh said it didn't have any kids of her own, so she bought it for me. I came back from vacation with that book. And that was like, I paid the entry fee. And so I began to play Dungeons and Dragons at school with my friends. Oh. I was in the early 1980s.
0: That's a great story. I, I had a similar experience. I, I was vaguely aware of it. And it was a high school club actually that started playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I was this grade nine kid who wandered in going like, what is this? And I mean, it can be a little intimidating, the game, because there's lots of there's lots of rules and dice and there's you know intricacies that you need to understand. So it is helpful to have somebody who's familiar with the game to introduce you. I, I love your initiative. Let's buy this book and let's go.
1: Well, I, I was very fortunate because of the period I came in at. Uh, there, there were actually two competing versions of Dungeons & Dragons out at that time in the 1980s made by the same company. Oh. And there's lots of debate on why they were there. Uh, A lot of it, uh, a lot of the debate has to do around uh, royalties between the two creators. Mm. And so during the 80s, during the late 70s, they came out with what was called advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. But they also had what was called the basic line of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, at that time, kids my age who were 13 years old, we didn't know the difference between basic and advanced. So I saw that basic book. And I immediately thought, oh, this is the entry book. It was 64 pages long. I was already a reader. So picking it up, the rules were fairly simple. It was easy to pick up, read through, and there you go. And then after I got into a little bit, I saved up my money, found the hardback Advanced Dungeons & Dragons books, and just meshed it all together. So none of us really played directly according to the rules. If we didn't understand it, we just kind of made it up, and that was our house rule, and that's what we did. So, yeah, uh, one of the things I really loved about it that really got me is they had something uh, in the basic book I picked up, and they added this in the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons book. It was called Appendix N in the uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons book, which was a suggested reading list. Oh, Oh, yeah. And so it was like, hey, you want to inspire your Dungeons and Dragons game? And I opened up. I was like, oh, I've read this, I've read this, I've read this. Oh, I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna read this. So for for me, it really inspired a lot of my reading and gave me, like, you know, teachers give you a reading list. And so it was funny because I remember uh my teachers growing up in the South, I grew up in northeast Louisiana. Uh, my teachers loved it when the D and D guys would do a book report because it would always be on one of these types of books that we'd seen in the suggested reading list. While the other kids are doing, yeah, you know, I remember one teacher getting up and saying, "I don't want any book reports on where the red fern grows or this <laughs> or that because uh, from from you boys because all you boys are doing that." And yeah. Me and my friends are like, No, nah, here, I'm
0: gonna read this 900 page fantasy novel. Yeah, because yeah this we're doing to...
1: The Hobbit, uh, we're yeah. gonna do it on The Return of the King. You know, <laughs> uh, this is it. Uh, I'm gonna pull out some Isaac Asimov, I'm gonna do my book report on Foundation, you oh, know, little Ray Bradbury.
0: Look.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do some Fahrenheit 451 up in here. I love you know, that.
0: I mean, as as somebody who who studied literature and and storytelling and stories and all that stuff, I love that idea, like that here is here are a list of books that you should read that is that's going to help you in your storytelling. You're going to take a bit of this, a bit of that. you're gonna mold this into something new and fresh that's for you. I love that. That's what great authors do,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. as one author said, uh, there is nothing new under the sun.
0: It's very true now, um. I'm curious. I mean, I I know about the documentary, uh, which is called The Satanic Panic and the Religious Battle for the Imagination. It's by our mutual friend, Andrew Wall and Refuge 31 Films. How did people in your life take your interest in Dungeons and Dragons? And where did you start to see some tensions in other
1: communities? You know, it's been a strange journey for me. I dealt with some parts of the satanic panic in the 1980s, uh, but uh, I, I tell people, probably because my family did not go to church regularly, it wasn't a huge impact on us. And so uh, when my mom got a hold of some of the uh, anti-D&D materials, she did something a lot of parents didn't do. She went through my books and uh my mother being a strong woman uh uh basically said uh after she uh saw the li- literature complaining about it went through all my books she said it uh it, the best I remember was this is all bull expletive deleted <laughs> uh, you know, put your books back up. She made me put my books back on the shelf because she'd taken them all down. You know, everything's fine. Don't worry about it.
0: I like that.
1: So that was the thing for my mother in the 1980s. But one of the things when moral panics arise that really got me was after I came into the church and, you know, made a profession of faith, I started taking that stuff seriously, even though... You know, my mom had, uh, even though my mom had said, hey, this is okay, you know, I'm over here, you know, taking it seriously. So I went through my own phase where in my 20s where I burned all my D&D books because, you know, a good Christian shouldn't have that in their life. And so I, I burnt my D&D books, I got rid of them, and uh, it was... It was odd. It it was odd now looking back on it, because what I have realized is whatever falls into the cultural zeitgeist, whatever is the mindset that's out there, even when we've got the facts and we know it, if it's in our community's sphere as being something negative, like it was in the church and being in the church, I was like, oh, this must be bad. And then uh, what really switched me, and I think I talked about this in the fantasy makers a little bit. I can't remember, uh, but one of the things that really got me was I got married in my early twenties, and uh, my wife and I went to a Christian college together. We got married first, and then went to a Christian college together. Oh,
0: it's usually the other way around.
1: Oh, I know, I know. That's why <laughs> I had to. That's why I had to explain that.
0: Ring by spring, or your money back
1: yeah yeah uh and so uh we went to a christian university and uh we're we're going to school there and my wife who did grow up in a christian home my wife who was very well read had read tolkien like very young age and she'd already read the silmarillion all kinds of stuff so so uh i did not realize that tolkien and lewis c.s lewis were both christians and so I'm going to this Christian university, and one of my professors says, okay, we want you to do a book report on C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, you know, C.S. Lewis is a Christian, was a Christian. And I said, what? That? I didn't know that. <laughs> the Lion guy? uh well see that was the thing in my brain there was a disconnect i did not i had already read mere christianity it was one of the first books i was given to read you know about christian faith uh after i came to the faith and i'd even written an article for a newspaper on c.s lewis's mere christianity and i went to my wife and i was like hey why didn't you tell me this was the same guy? Why didn't you tell me Lewis was a Christian? And she's like, I thought you knew that. I thought I didn't know that. I mean, Derek, it, how many
0: CS Lewis's could there be?
1: <laughs> hey, when you're 23 years old, you don't oh, think about that stuff. You don't you think know? about much. I mean, the whole world was new to me, the world of Christianity, the world of the church, the world of uh, ministry and going to, so all these things are new to me. And I'm, um, I'm looking into it, and I'm going, "Wow, this is this is absolutely insane," and so then I delved into back into Tolkien and uh, got into all that, and because of that, I started getting back into D and D. It was a while before I got back into D and D, but uh, you know, I found some online forums in the '90s that were Christians who played D and D. And I ended up getting back into gaming about that time in the mid-90s and started playing Dungeons & Dragons again. Uh, and since then, uh, the issues I've faced have been a little odd in that uh, it, within the gaming community, as people got to know me and realized, hey, this guy really is a geek about d d you know they they were cool once uh i established that i was just as geeky or geekier than they were uh they were like oh this guy's cool he just happens to be a preacher yeah you know and but on the church level you know uh especially after i got in the united methodist church i didn't think it would be an issue but the issue i have faced the most And I have gotten this comment from about two or three people. So I know uh, at, at different churches I serve and the comment they gave me was, you seem to care more about the gaming community than you do this church you're serving. And I understood where they were coming from. First of all, it's very much the me attitude that the church has toward ministry. Uh, You know, you've probably heard this in many Christian circles is how are you feeding me? What is the church doing for me? And which is a very self-centered and selfish attitude. Uh, So that was part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some of it was, what are we paying you for? And Mm -hmm. my brain was, I want to be able to minister to these folks in this community and let them know that there's a church that welcomes them. And sadly, I did not find many churches that welcomed them. And uh, because of that, that would cause me some issues as a pastor at those churches, because people got to know me through uh, gaming conventions and things like that. And so, you know, I would have people that, you know, I might have a guy who played in a heavy metal band that loved D&D and liked me. And if he was in the community I was pastoring in, he would come to church with me. And that tended to freak people out when you got this guy walking in with all this ink on and a couple of earrings, even though it's a mainline denomination, you know, it's very upper middle class in a lot of places. And there are certain social and cultural expectations which really uh, caused those folks to feel uncomfortable. And uh, that that would cause me issues at times because people were like, you know, we don't want those kind of folks in here, and I'm just like, screw you guys.
0: <laughs> I hope that's a direct quote.
1: <laughs> it it was. It, it it was. It yeah, screw you guys. I I have said that.
0: I wonder, like, having grown up in the '80s, and I grew up through the Satanic Panic too. Like, I mean, it was Dungeons and Dragons, like the heavy metal music, and it was really terrifying that the like there's this conspiracy of satanists and it was beyond the christian circles because there were definitely mainstream news stories about
1: this there were mainstream stories about it but christian that came out Uh first but christians especially during the 80s and at the height of television televangelism they jumped in on it
0: one might say exploited
1: oh i definitely think there were many out there that were exploiting it and we go into, we touch on that exploitation in the documentary, um, which is just uh, it, it. They definitely exploited mm. it, and I think they exploited some of the kids who played D and D.
0: Interested listeners at home, look up Mike Warnke.
1: <laughs> oh God, yes. Ooh.
0: Or just look up Pat Robertson. Oh, Pat Robertson, yeah, no. But again, it's this yeah. like it's this thing that people are doing. It's story based, so there's a little bit of. I was like, it was the drama kids who really liked D and D in my school. Like, because you get to be whatever character you were playing. And this idea that somehow you were going to like channel Satan because you were doing it like just insane stuff, but people believed it. And I feel like in some circles, there's still this residual thing that continues on. Like we're still suspect of people who play Dungeons and Dragons. You, you indicated you still get a little bit of that now.
1: I, well, i I don't get it now because uh, I'm on family leave, and I'm working with a church where it is broadly accepted. But I see other people who do get it. When we aired the documentary at Gen Con, I had a the Gen con, for the listeners who don't know, is the largest tabletop gaming convention in North America, probably the world. Uh, it was started by the co-creator of Dungeons and Dragons, Kerry Gygax, in the late 1960s. Uh, and we we screened our documentary there before it released to the public. And after the screening, we had a Q&A. And I had a young man, 19 years old, come up to me and tell me he played D&D and his parents still had those thoughts about dungeons and dragons that's crazy Uh, we have a local preacher here in nashville who uh did a viral video on uh, a local books a million selling dungeons and dragons books and complaining about that and that guy's younger than me Is like wow, you know? Yeah, it's still going on. I could speculate
0: endlessly as to why people do this, why people pick up these these things. Uh, in other, in, on the other side of the coin, um, I saw the uh, the guy who plays Jack Reacher in the new Amazon show. He and his three kids just played their first game of Dungeons and Dragons with his friend. I'm like, yes, like that's, yeah, it, it's 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 such a great game, and if you can find a community yeah. that that are willing to play with, like play
1: yeah yeah it's great i mean i see people like joe manganello who's an actor uh joe's a friend of mine he plays dnd paul white mm-hmm. uh joe manganello's i would call him a dnd evangelist uh <laughs> because he really he does that does a lot of fundraising uses dnd to raise money for charity and for kids in hospitals mm-hmm. uh paul white who uh Those of you who ever watched uh, wrestling, uh, WWE, Paul White, uh, it it was known as the big show. Very large man. Very large man. He comes to one of the conventions I go to, uh, and he plays D&D. Really nice guy. You've got people all across the spectrum. Uh, I have played Dungeons and Dragons with people wh- who are medical doctors, people who have who are uh, who have PhDs, teach at universities, and I've played and had plumbers and blue collar workers at the same table. Uh, it, it Dungeons and Dragons, I say from a Christian perspective, it, from my experience, has been what we call the Lord's table or Eucharist should mm. be. It, it is a table I have gamed with everybody across all genders, all sexualities, all backgrounds, mm-hmm. all races uh, at the same table. Mm-hmm. And we've enjoyed each other's company, had fun, and laughed mm-hmm. and eaten snacks together and enjoyed each other's company.
0: It And it is great fun.
1: It is, it's great. Oh, fun. it's a blast. It's great fun. It's a blast. So, how often are you playing now? Right now, uh, Right now I run a biweekly game at our church uh which I refer to as discipleship and dragons so I do that twice a month
0: best title ever
1: yeah and uh I we do that one, uh, we do that twice a month uh we just started back last Sunday because uh we took a break during the holidays with everything going on in December people being out of town and advent and christmas and Epiphany and all of that going on. So we started back last Sunday, and I do that twice a month. And then uh, I am the chaplain for the Gary Conn Gaming Convention. And part of what I do as a chaplain there is I run games, I hold memorial services, I've done weddings, baptisms, all the things normal chaplains do. And so at those conventions, I will usually run anywhere from 4 to 12 hours of d and depending on what other responsibilities I have. This year will be more hours of it because this year is the 50th anniversary of the game. And so uh, I will be running more of those. Uh, and I also run other tabletop role-playing games like Call of Cthulhu, which is another tabletop role-playing game. Uh, And uh, hopefully in April, I'll be at what's called Chaosium Con, which is the company that publishes Call of Cthulhu. And uh, at at Chaosium Con, I get to play more than run, which is nice. Uh, And uh, I enjoyed that last year. And then uh, when I'm at Origins, uh, uh, which is another gaming convention, I will usually run one to two games there either dungeons and dragons or call of cthulhu and then i so over the course of the year i'm running all kinds of games and then i do some online games as well so nice so uh, there, there's never telling how much i'm doing in, in that space
0: people who who may be interested in trying to learn how to play dungeons and dragons how would you recommend they start
1: uh well there are a couple of things out there uh There is a box set that was put out very similar to the box sets we picked up in the 80s. I know they've come out with a new adventure. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I would just say pick up what's called the Dungeons and Dragons Essentials box set if you want to run Dungeons and Dragons. It's very simple, easy to use. It walks you through it as a first-time player or first-time dungeon master I wish I could remember the newest one they've come out with because it is really good. Uh, let me see if I can find the name real quick. Sure. Uh, because I found this one, uh, and I, uh, to, to, uh, I cannot find that in the name of that adventure really easily, but, uh, they There are a lots of, I mean, you could just Google how to play D&D. It, it is very simple to pick up for a first time player. Uh, and it can be, uh, it can feel a little complex. That's why I say, don't go out and buy the core rule books right away. Just get one of those simple box sets. They usually retail for about $20. They come with a set of funky dice, And you could just sit down and uh, go through that. It'll come with some uh, pre-made characters. So you can have those pre-made characters ready for your players reading through it. Does it take 30, 45 minutes before you get started and you can get into the game? That's not bad. Not bad at all.
0: I very much enjoy tabletop games, but I'm somebody who like forgets the rules as soon as he stops playing. And as long as my friends are willing to re-explain the rules (laughs) every time we play, I'm happy to play. Thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. Uh, do you have time for some fast forward?
1: Sure, sure, sure. I've got time.
0: What is the first thing a young Derek White was a geek for?
1: Well, the first thing I was a geek for, uh, I it was probably Sherlock Holmes. I remember I like reading Sherlock Holmes probably when I was eight or nine years old. And shortly after that, I read A Wrinkle in Time.
0: So I would say Sherlock
1: Holmes and uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Madeleine L'Engle, right there (laughs) together.
0: Great, great companions. Love to have those two to dinner at the same time. That'd be oh,
1: that would be wonderful. That would be. Is there
0: something that you're a huge geek for that might surprise people?
1: Uh, Well, I already mentioned wrestling, so uh, (laughs) I don't think that would surprise anyone. I guess the one that would probably, I don't know how surprising it would be, but there are two things. I love hats, certain types of hats, fedoras, things of that nature, which generally if people go back to old photos, I mean, they know that. But I love, so the most surprising I would say would be artistically made canes. Ooh. I love really nice things, things that look like a shillelagh, uh, you know, uh, wood carved canes, which I can never afford the ones I want. But I really love good canes and stabs and things like that.
0: I often feel I was born in the wrong time because like you, I like fedoras. Like, But it's, it's something that if you wear, you're making a particular statement, you really stand out. And the same with canes. Like in the Victorian area, everyone had walking canes. It's just not something you have now. I have to get a limp, apparently.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I know. It's funny. You can go on a hike with a walking stick. No one thinks anything about it. But if you've got a But if you go
0: downtown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the most disappointing D&D character you ever created?
1: It was a disappointment because the game I was in, it was a game very similar to D&D. It used a lot of the D&D rules, but it went by a different name. But in that game, the DM was known for being a character killer.
0: Oh. And I
1: didn't realize that. So I built this knight. I wrote up a great backstory for this knight. And a a human knight, and I gave him his own, I gave him a code, All of this, wrote down a night's code, all of that, found stuff online, gave it all to the DM, and by the second session, that night was trounced to death by a woolly mammoth. So the next character I rolled up for that game, I named him Nonami,
0: the Gnome.
1: No name, (laughs) the Gnome. Because I'm like, I did all this I'm going to be a jerk right back. Yeah, I did all this work, and you just killed my character off. The heck oh. with you. And so I had to roll up a new character, and it was called No Nonami the Gnome. And he didn't get it until he really looked at how I spelt the name mm-hmm. and broke it into two words, N-O-N-A-M-E-E. Because I did not expect that character to live long. And that character actually lived. Of course he did. oh uh, Yeah. yeah. And so, so it went from a total disappointment to this character. I just said to heck with it, <laughs> and that one lived and lived and lived.
0: Choose your dungeon master as well, kids.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: What is the geekiest thing you own, and Derek? You can define geeky however you choose.
1: Ah, uh, well, I it would be uh, my first edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master guide signed by gary gygax oh that's who nice. signed it for me at his last gen con before he passed away oh that's
0: that's nice that's, that's
1: probably the nice. geek and then the next geekiest thing i own is uh, one of the early little brown books from the 1970s that was say signed for me by dave arneson the other oh. co-creator of dungeons and dragons
0: oh i like that i like that where can people find you on social media and support what you're doing?
1: Uh, the easiest way to support this work, because uh, everything I do is uh, supported by either my wife or my Patreon supporters. You can find me on Patreon.com at Patreon.com forward slash The Geek Preacher. You can find me on uh, Facebook. Uh, look for my uh, The Geek Preacher page. You can find me on TikTok where I do videos where I talk about gaming history. I talk about faith and its connection to gaming. Uh and you can find me as at the Geek Preacher There. Uh Instagram, anywhere. Just Google the Geek Preacher and you will probably find me fairly easily.
0: I will put a bunch of links in the show notes and people can find you. And and the documentary. Where can people find the film?
1: Uh the Satanic Panic and the Battle for the Religious Imagination is streaming the same place the Science Fiction Makers is streaming on 2B TV. And 2B TV is free, so you do not have to pay for it. Uh, it's like really old school, and then it's paid for by ads. So you do have to watch a few commercials, uh, but it is definitely worth it. Uh, I loved it. It was a blast doing it.
0: Thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. If you like what I'm doing, consider ways you could support. You can subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice and maybe leave a five-star review. Those really help with the algorithms. Go to michaelwboyscom geek4 to find all our social media links. There's a few of them now. And give us a follow. And maybe buy me a coffee. Join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. This is my first interview back in probably like four months. Like I just taken a sabbatical. Yeah. So I hope I remember how to do everything. I am recording. So that's a step in the right direction.
1: There you go.